Our speaker tonight is uh, Brother Chris Standridge. He is from Ashland, Ohio. Brother Chris is uh, here doing his internship. He's a student at Baptist Bible College. And um, we had kind of a twofold reason of bringing him in this summer. One was to let him do his internship. The college requires a, uh, an internship in a church. And uh, as part of his education for the ministry, he's studying to, uh, to be a pastor one day. But the other reason that we brought him in was I was going to try to talk him out of marrying my daughter. But uh, I failed at that, so I guess we figure we better just go ahead and let you get to know him. I'm just kidding. We're, we are thrilled to have Chris with us. He's done a great job with us this, uh, this summer. He's been working with Tom uh, Reed and, and the uh, youth department, and uh, God is, God's going to bless this young man, and I'm proud of him. I'm glad to have him speak for us tonight. Brother Chris, come up here and give us what the Lord's given you. I'll tell you what. Now, after two years of uh, going through Bible college, they tell me to do my intern. I'm studying to be a preacher. They don't tell me that there's so much uh, painting required to be a preacher. <laughs> Is this thing up too high? There we go. Um, preacher asked me to to speak uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, at the time I was excited about getting a chance to to speak because this is what you train for, and I was all excited about it a couple weeks ago in staff meeting. He told me you're preaching Wednesday. I said okay, I'm excited about this. And a couple days ago, I'm like, I don't think I want to preach. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, the Lord is. Uh, been dealing with me in the last couple months about the subject of faith um, this past year for the first time in my life I've really experienced a, a true kind of, of faith in, in Jesus Christ um, I was saved at the age of uh, 10 on August 10th 1988 um, I grew up in a Christian church and uh, I, I went to church every Sunday and Wednesday like uh, like my family did, and uh, they took care of me in that aspect, and I was involved in church. And uh, at the age of, I can't even remember, I was either six or seven, uh, I remember I was in junior church, and I went forward during the invitation, they had a little invitation time, and I remember going forward and talking to a lady, and she took me outside. And I just remember, all, I, all honestly, all I remember is going outside and uh, just talking. And... Uh, I thought I was saved, and, and for all I know, I might have been saved at that time, but I, I really, honestly, in my heart, I don't remember what had uh, been going through my mind at the time or what I had said. And for about three and a half years, uh, I had dealt with that, and I struggled with the fact that I didn't know if I was saved or not. And uh, I can remember when I was, in between the time that I was saved and when I thought I was saved, I remember, for some reason, it's so insignificant right now, but I can remember riding my bike down the sidewalk next to my house. And I remember just stopping and asking God to save me. And, and for no reason. I, I mean, I don't know what I had said. And I don't know why I even stopped. But I just remember stopping and asking, you know, God, save me if I'm not saved. And I would do that two or three times a week. And uh, finally, on August 10th, 1988, my parents had uh, sat me down with my brother and my sister one night and we had uh someone had come on tv or some televangelist or some somebody had been um, on tv and they were talking about i guess the guy predicted the rapture was going to happen at a certain date and um my parents were uh, just talking about it and obviously i don't think they believed them 
But uh, they were just talking about it because they didn't know for sure whether I was saved or not. And uh, we, that night we had sat down and I had this fear of my parents being raptured. And I knew, I knew what, what it took to be saved. And I knew what I had to do. And I knew what the rapture was. I was just afraid that I was going to get left behind because I wasn't ever sure. And that night I, uh, my, my father led me to the Lord on August 10th, 1988. But uh, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ that night. But I never had a working faith. I never had a faith where I trusted God to lead my life. Because my parents, while I was growing up through high school and junior high and elementary school, my parents had uh, provided everything I needed. I didn't have a reason to trust God with anything but my soul. And uh, I'd never had a living faith until uh, I went to college two years ago. And uh, let me tell you, life is full of leaps of faith now. Um, I had a, the thing that sticks out in my mind, I told uh, Becky knows about this and Preacher knows about this. Um, the biggest way uh, God has shown himself faithful to me, I had, uh, it was probably February or March of this past year, um, I had uh, been in school and I had uh, tr taken a trip home to Ohio and uh, to visit my parents. I was going to take my car, but it turned out my car had broken down, so I took my sister's car and my brother-in-law. And uh, I had been stressed out for probably about a, a week or two about my car because it had broken down on me and I took it to a mechanic and they said it was going to cost $700. Well, it turns out that I have a $500 school bill to pay as well. I have no school loans or any scholarships. And uh, I was really, I'm the type of person where I get stressed out about finances. And uh, I let that really get to me. I went home that weekend and, uh, and I had a $500 school bill and a $700 bill on my car to pay that I thought was going to cost me. Went home that weekend. I come back early that morning. We got back about 5 in the morning. And uh, I went and checked my mail because... As a college student, you check your mail about five times a day because that's the highlight of your day if you get mail from somebody. Um, I checked my mail that morning at five in the morning, and uh, I didn't know this, but my parents had sent me um, a letter in the mail and uh, before I had traveled home. And I got back, and they, they had a, I opened that, that uh, envelope, and uh, my parents had a check written out to the school for me for my account made out for $500 and they and she had a little note posted on it and said we just had this money and didn't know what to do with it so we decided to send it to you so that was just an awesome blessing God showed his faithfulness to me and uh all during this time I was uh planning on getting engaged I wanted to buy Becky her ring and I had, I knew how much money I was going to be getting in my income taxes and that was going to pay for the ring so uh still stressing that because I really wanted to get married man and uh, and I didn't know how I thought I was going to take my income tax money and pay for my car well it turns out I got my income tax back in and that was going to take care of the car payment but I wouldn't have been able to get the ring so uh, God had provided that $600 for me so in the matter of uh, three or four days he had given me $1,100 and uh so I was going to pay for my car. Well, it turned out my car only cost me $300 because a man in my church had been able to fix it for me. So that cost me $300. A couple days later, I went up with one of my friends to the mailroom. I checked my mail again. And uh, I had opened this, I got this envelope in the mail. And it had my name and my address typed on it. And I didn't have a return address or anything. 
and I opened it up and it had a wad of uh, $20 bills, $300 in cash. Nobody left a name or anything and, and it, paid for my, it paid for my car and I was able to get the ring and I was able to pay my school bill off and that was the first time I realized I'm living by faith and God had proven himself faithful to me. So my question tonight is, uh, how does a person prove that they're living by faith or whether or not they have faith? If you turn to James chapter 2 with me, um, I'm going to read through, I'm going to actually go through all of the chapter. I'm going to read sections at a time. I want to read verses uh, 1 through 13 here real quick. Uh, it says, my brother, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come, also, come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit thou under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom of kingdom which he, he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that saith, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For for he hath, uh, for he shall have uh, judgment without mercy, that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoice, rejoiceth against judgment. So the first way that we prove faith. And uh, this first passage, and looking, uh, it basically says in uh, the first four verses, it says that faith, our faith is proved by love. It talks about, uh, in the first four verses, it talks about a rich man and a poor man that come into a, a church or an assembly. And uh, it, it talks about how they treat each person. How do we treat our visitors here at Town Lake Baptist? Do we treat each of them equally? Are we loving each person Equally, even though one person might be more attractive than the other person, or one person might have more money than the other person, or uh, one might be more popular than the other, are we treating each other equal? When visitors come into our church, they should see the love of Christ, no matter no matter what they look like, or uh, how much money they make, or who they know, or um, what they do as an occupation. We need to treat each person equally. God doesn't see us as uh, um, He doesn't see us as people on the outside, as as far as uh, what we look like. He sees us as equal people on the inside, as equal souls. Either we're saved or we're unsaved, and we need to treat the people that come into our church the same way God treats us. He looks on our soul, and He sees us as being saved or unsaved. And we need to look at each person that comes into our church, whether they're um, they attend faithfully or they come only once. We need to treat them equally. I think it's uh, I think it's really important that uh, the preacher takes time out each church service to uh, shake hands with people and get to know people because uh, that shows that shows to visitors 
and to people that attend this church that it's important that we get to know each other and, and, and that we get to know each other on a personal basis. And that we're not just here to hear a speaker, we're here to uh, fellowship with one another and, uh, and be there for one another. And uh, I think it's really important. But uh, some people, you know, we do judge. Honestly, we do judge. I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. We judge people on uh, the way they look or the way they act or, um, you know, just different areas of their life. We judge people. And it shouldn't be that way. I was guilty of the same thing in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, I guess you could, I could consider myself, I was the leader of the group. Um, I had a girlfriend and I had a clique of friends that, uh, that I was involved with. And I didn't, when we had a visitor come into our church and in our youth group, I didn't really take time to get out to know these people. I would, uh, you know, sometimes I'd go introduce myself, but I wouldn't really sit down and try to really get to know them on a personal basis. And we're all, we're all guilty of that sometimes, and it shouldn't be that way. And it says in verses 8 through 11, I'm not going to read them again, but it, says, it, it basically talks about how we should love the neighbor as thyself. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is also referred to as the, the love chapter, it talks about love and it explains it, what it should be and what, what true Christian love should be all about. In a, in a book I was reading by Warren Wiersbe, he says, uh, he, he quotes in there, Christian love means treating others the way that God treated us. And we realize that uh, we didn't deserve God's love. God is holy and powerful and righteous and perfect. And nothing we could ever do could uh, deserve God's love. We could, nothing we could ever do to deserve, we couldn't do anything to deserve his love. And, uh, but yet he, he chose to send his only son to die on the cross for our sins. And that's the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love. And I think the only thing, the least we should do is love the people that come into our church and, and uh, the members as well as the visitors. We should love each other. And uh, sometimes, you know, you might say, well, I love most of these people, but there's one person that I don't think I can get along with. I don't think I can love that person. And uh, whenever I think of that, because there's always going to be people that you don't like, but that doesn't mean you can't love them. And sometimes I think of that, and I was, when I was uh, making up the sermon, I thought of uh, me and Becky. Sometimes, and I know she loves me. She's one of the most loving people I've ever met, honestly. Um, I didn't really realize this until I got down here. And I see her going, uh, talking to some of the women in the church, and some of, just some of the people in the church, and I see her go up and give hugs. And she's just so nice and loving. And she's that way with me. And sometimes I don't deserve that love. Because if you know me, like... Uh, like Becky does or Tom or Casey or Preacher or Mrs. Hill, I can be pretty unloving sometimes. I'm, I'm really sarcastic a lot. And uh, I like to pick at people. And sometimes I carry that too far. And, and Becky, I don't know how she does it sometimes. She puts up with me. She still loves me. But I'm not trying to glorify Becky, but that's just how we should be. We should love each other, even though sometimes people are hard to love. Um... Uh, it says in verse First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse one. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, "Though I speak with uh, tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal." Uh, me and one of my friends up at school, we uh, we discovered that verse and what it really means, and we kind of joke about it now, because uh, but really, it's a serious verse. You can help people out, and you can you can show them love, and you can you can give people advice if they need it. But if what you do is in vain. Or if what you do is not in love, I should say, it's in vain. Okay? 
So the first way we prove our faith is by our love. The second way we prove our faith is by our works. Uh, I'm going to read verses uh, 14 to 20 here. What doth a prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth a prophet? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, ye, show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that uh, faith without works is dead? You know, James isn't saying here that we're, we're justified by our works. He's not saying that we're saved by our works. Because Paul wrote in Romans that we're justified by our faith. But what Paul is explaining here is he's saying that we prove our faith by our works. You know, uh, I'm going to steal Tom's story. I told him I was going to do this. He, Tom's always telling me stories. You work with him all day. He's got tons of stories, no matter what. He told us this story one day of uh, how he went to the 7-Eleven to get his daily Dr. Pepper. And he was walking out of the 7-Eleven and uh, he said some guy and dressed up as a cowboy had come out and uh, he was dressed up in jeans and long shirt and everything. And he said he'd come out and he just asked him for a ride. And Tom didn't know this guy. He didn't have a clue who he was. He could have been some kind of murderer for all he knew. But the guy said, he, Tom told me that the guy said, you know, I can't take this heat. I don't think I can make it any longer. Can you give me a ride? So uh, Tom, obviously, being the loving man that he is, said yes. And uh, uh, he gave this guy a ride. And, and he told me that he, while he was giving him a ride, uh, I don't know where he took him, but uh, he was telling him where he went to church and he was asking him where he went to church. And, and he just had to talk about God and church and all this. And, and Tom said the whole time, he's like, I'm driving down the road in my Ranger. Hold one hand on the wheel, one hand holding the mag light in case this guy pulls a pulls out a knife or a, a gun or something. He said, I'm going to beat him up, you know. But uh, Tom showed his faith. Tom showed his faith by what he did there, showing that guy love. And, uh, you know, I've tried to prove my faith by coming down here to Texas. It's not easy leaving Springfield, Missouri to come down to, you know, Irving, Texas, where it's 10 degrees hotter every day, 100, 100 degrees every day. I'm from Ohio. I'm used to 85. That's hot to me. So, I mean, this is a big step of faith for me. And, uh, you know, just getting getting engaged and in three and a half weeks I'm getting married. That's the biggest step of faith I've ever taken. And I'm, I'm pretty nervous about that. But, uh, you know, I have faith that God's going to provide. And uh, that's a big step of faith for me just to come down here and, um, and, and to spend time here at the church and work in the church, painting the halls and helping Tom in the youth group. But what what happens if uh what would happen if you know I told you the story of Tom what would happen if Tom would have said you know I wish you well but I'm not going to give you a ride because I don't trust you but I hope you make it and I hope you don't die of dehydration or I hope you don't die of exhaustion or whatever but I wish you well you know or what would have happened if uh if I would have said to Tom you know I hope the youth group grows and I hope you get them halls painted and the classrooms painted but I'm not coming down in that heat. You know, would that, would that have proved my faith? Would that have proved Tom's faith in his situation? There's two aspects of the faith in, this, in uh, verses 21 through 26. I'm going to read those real quick. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought, his, wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? 
and the scripture was fulfilled with the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God you see then how by works a man is justified and not by faith only likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also so there's two aspects of faith in, in this passage of scripture there's a believing faith and there's a working faith the first example is abraham in genesis chapter 15 verse 6 it said that uh, abraham uh, uh what did it say turn to, i just drew a blank uh, well it should be right here um abraham our father was justified by works when he offered isaac his son upon the altar so it says that uh abraham was justified by believing so he had a believing faith and he was counted righteous through believing but he had a working faith because he offered Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice on the altar when God commanded it. I don't know if you know the story of um, Abraham and Isaac, you know that God had promised to multiply um, his seed through his son. And Abraham was about close to 100 years old, somewhere around there. And God hadn't given him that son. And he was starting to doubt what was going to happen. And when, uh, when uh, God had given him Isaac... They had a special bond, him and Abraham, and they were very close. And when God had offered, or when God had commanded Isaac, or I'm sorry, God had commanded Abraham to offer Isaac on that altar, that was probably the biggest sacrifice that God had ever asked of Abraham because of the bond. You know, he had promised him the son, and then he asked him to, to give him up. And uh, Abraham proved his uh, faith by his actions. He proved his faith by offering Isaac on that altar. So the result of um, Abraham's faith is uh, he was justified by believing, but he, was, he justified his faith by obeying God. The second example is in Joshua 2, verses 10 and 11. It talks of the story of uh, Rahab, the harlot, um, and the story of uh, Joshua and Caleb coming into Jericho, spying out the land. It says in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 2 of Joshua, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sinai and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So we see there that uh, Rahab, Rahab believed in the God of Israel and his power because she said it right there when she was speaking that... Uh, she said that the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and in beneath. So she proved her faith by believing. And then uh, uh, she had actually she had uh, justified her faith by her works when she received and protected Joshua and Caleb. They were spying out the land of Jericho when uh, Israel was about to take it as the promised land. And uh, they were running from whoever was chasing them. And uh, Rahab the harlot had decided to take them in and, and protect them. And she proved her faith in Jesus, or her faith in God, the God of Israel, by protecting these people. Because obviously she'd have been killed if they had ever caught her. So the uh, result of her faith is she risked her life to save the spies. But in the process, she justified her faith in God. So, uh, so we, we see that there is a believing and a working faith. In Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, um, They profess that they know God, but their works, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, abominable and disobedient. 
and unto every good work reprobate. Now there's lots of people, and I'm not saying there's lots of people in this church, but I'm sure there are people in this church, and there's people in, in all, all churches, I'm sure, and uh, people that are in the media, people that are superstars, they profess that they know God. You know, there's people that come into churches and they, they live the life while they're in church and they, they come and they say that they're saved. But when they walk out those doors of the church, they live a whole different lifestyle. And there are people, and I'm not, I don't know of any in particular, but I'm sure there are people that attend this church that profess that they know God. But when they walk out these doors, they don't live the life. They're not, they're not proving their faith by their works. So we need to watch out for those people. We need to be careful. We need to be um, observant toward them people. We need, to, we need to care about those people and watch out for them and make sure that, you know, if these people need help, we need to, we need to show them Christ and show them what a real, true, living, believing and working faith is. So there's three kinds of uh, faith in James chapter 2. Um, there's a dead faith, which is basically there's a person shows no works, which I just talked about. And that's in um, verse 17 there. There's a demonic faith. In verse 19, it says that uh, the devils also believe and tremble, which uh, we can't have that kind of faith because we're not devils. And there's a dynamic faith, uh, which is basically doing God's will, just like Abraham and Rahab did early in, or later on in the chapter, which is in verses 21 and 25. So uh, three kinds of faith, dead, demonic, and dynamic. In conclusion, I just want to ask you guys, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a, de a dead faith or do you have a, de a dynamic faith? Put yourself in this situation. Um, put yourself in the preacher's shoes or in, in the shoes of one of the staff members here at Town Lake. Uh, we've been, uh, while I've been here, we've been doing a, we've been having staff meetings on Tuesday. And we've been doing a book study on Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church. And we've been talking about the situation and the state of the church that we're in. And when I first came here, actually when I first met Becky, she would, she would tell me about how, uh, when Pastor and Mrs. Hill came here, the church was really on fire. It really grew for about a year. But then it kind of evened off. People kind of got comfortable. And right now, I don't see a whole lot of growth. I mean, I hate to admit it, but I don't see a whole lot of growth going on. And we've been talking about that kind of stuff. Why is our church the way it is? And I firmly believe, just by the testimony of, of the staff members here, that and, and just by listening to him in these staff meetings and talking about the state of our church, the staff members, the staff is, there's people in this church that are ready for this church to grow and take off because there's a lot of potential. We have a lot of, we have a lot of potential leaders in this church and, and, and there are leaders in this church, but there's potential for growth. And uh, all we need is a couple of people that are going to jump on the bandwagon and follow. You know, I think of... Uh, Sunday morning, this sticks out to me. Uh, Sunday morning, I prayed with Doug Pierce in our prayer meeting. And that was the first time I ever prayed with him. And I'll tell you what, he opened my eyes to prayer. Because he makes it so real and so personal to God. And I don't want to glorify him, but whenever I talk to him, he's just so excited about church. And he's so positive, And he gets me excited. And I want to be a part of that. Me and Tom have talked about that, man. We want to be a part of somebody that's excited. And, and when someone like that just gets on fire, one, it's, just like a, it's just like a fire. When one person catches a spark, it just grows and expands. And I really believe that if only a couple more people would, 
would jump on the bandwagon and just get excited and just show up for visitation. We only have 10 people show up for visitation probably a week. And we just need people to show up for visitation, people to be witnesses in every everyday life, you know? Maybe, maybe you can't show up for visitation, but you can portray Christ in your everyday life to the people you work with or the people you come in contact with. We need people to come and be excited about worshiping the Lord. And we talk about that a lot in, in our staff meetings. And we need an excitement here just to, just to show that, you know, prove to God that we're we are excited about what he's doing here. And I, be, I believe, honestly believe, that if we get some people to really catch that excitement, this church could take off and explode. And um, I have two, uh, two questions for you here real quick while I'm ending. Uh, you don't have to answer this out loud, but um, how many of you people really have faith that God can make this church grow? You believe that God can use each and every one of us to uh, have a healthy, growing church. One of the things that uh, Rick Warren said in his book, he said that there's either uh, one or two situations in everything. It's either every person, every church, every living thing. It's either living, you're either living and growing or you're dying. You know, I look at our church, are we growing or are we living, are we dying? How many of you people really believe that God can make this church grow? And secondly, how many of you are um, proving your faith that God can make this church grow by what you're doing in this church? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that I have to uh, come and just uh, worship you, Lord. I, I just pray, Father, that to, you would help the people that uh, we could have a good, healthy, growing church, that we would love one another and uh, love others as, when they come into our church and just show a love of Christ. I just ask, Father, that you help us to uh, show our love and show our faith through our love and our works. I just pray, Father, that uh, we can get an excitement in this church and help it to grow, Lord. I know that you can do this do this great and mighty work, Lord. I just pray, Father, that uh, we would have some people get excited and get on fire for you, Lord, and just uh, really um, just really uh, be a witness in, in our town and in our community and uh, be excited about what you're doing here at this church. And I just thank you for the opportunity to come and speak. And I just pray, Father, that uh, the people here would uh, take to heart what, uh, what you have brought to me and through me, Lord. And I just thank you so much for the opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, amen. That's uh, that's good, Chris. What kind of faith do we have, James? I couldn't keep. I don't want to add anything to what he said because he said enough. But the one comment. That